Welcome back, episode number 25. It is Lucky Friday the 13th. Um, you're listening to the It's a Monkey podcast, episode 25. You're with Kevin Garber and James Peter. We are the co-founders of 89N, home of Manage Flitter. Hello, James. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Friday the 13th, do you know what's significant about Friday the 13th of September? I know that it's unlucky. Uh, yeah, I don't know anything else other than that. No, specifically September, Friday mm, the 13th. No, what's that? In one week is my birthday. Oh. <laughs> Friday the 20th. <laughs> I thought you meant something else. <laughs> it's a very subtle hint. <laughs> subtle hint. Friday the 20th next week is my birthday anyway. If anybody wants to send in presents. <laughs> presents, yeah. Um, gosh. Um, yeah. Send in. What would you like? I, I was pony? just thinking new pony, <laughs> a new pony. I don't even have an old pony. What what would I like? I actually I need a new car. Actually, new car. Okay. Yeah, maybe a Tesla. If someone in the states okay, cool. can send yep. through a Tesla, send in your Tesla to uh, it's a monkey podcast at yeah. Sydney. Yeah, I'm sure you'll find us. Yeah, you'll find us. Um, it's been a while, been a busy uh, few weeks, and we've we've had delays for various reasons, which we won't bore the listener with. Um, if you're listening on the new entertainment mode feature on Manage Flutter, a special welcome to you if you're listening to this podcast for the first time. Yep, it's part of our brand new version of Managed Flitter, uh, forced by Twitter's changes. But um, yeah, hope you're enjoying using it. Yeah, and uh, always send us feedback about the podcast. You can tweet us at Managed Flitter, but uh, you can also tweet us at Monkey Podcast. Um, you can please also subscribe on iTunes, then you'll get it get it pinged. You can also put in your email address on itsamonkey.com and you'll get an email notification. Anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you. Later on in the show, we interview um, Ted Rubin, um, Return on Relationship. And uh, we'll be talking to him about what does it mean? We talk about social media. What do companies get out of social media? What should they be doing on social media? He's a super smart, um, articulate guy that has spent some interesting, um, had some interesting projects at big companies. So I interviewed him. He's in New York, Manhattan. Um, but James, speaking of Twitter, there was a, literally a few hours ago, there was a tweet from the official Twitter account that's at Twitter that said, we've confidentially submitted an S1 to the SEC for a planned IPO. That This tweet does not constitute an offer of any securities for sale. Um, Twitter have filed finally, officially for IPO. Yeah, been a bit of a long time coming, but uh, not, a, not a huge surprise. Definitely been plenty of talk about it for a while. Uh, yeah, it's kind of an interesting move. Do you, are you going to be buying any stocks in Twitter? Any shares? Well, as I often talk about, I've got a few Facebook shares and I've always been quite bullish on Facebook. Um, I mean, it's interesting to compare the two. I've, you know, Twitter filed for what's, what's called a um, confidential um, um, prospectus, which is something that's new. It's only um, been allowed since 2012. And basically what it means, if you've got less than $1 billion of revenue, which is an indicator unto itself. So obviously Twitter on at the moment still have less than $1 billion of revenue estimates around the 500 million mark, mm. but no one really knows. If you have less than $1 billion of revenue, you can actually hold back on releasing some of the information with the okay. view to sorting out your shop and also just getting the benefit of not having the chaos um, around it. Facebook didn't have that privilege. Mm. But it's still a proper IPO and everything, you know. Absolutely. Still, everybody can buy shares, they just release less information, is that? They release less information and they have to only, I think, file two years of financials as opposed to three years of financials. Right. So there's some, it's a little bit of lighter compliance. Um, Facebook didn't have this luxury, but it's interesting um, comparing the two slightly. Um, it looks like uh, Twitter is going to be valued between ten and fifteen billion dollars. Mm -hmm. Facebook was about ten times that. Mm, hundred billion. A hundred billion plus. So Twitter's still the new kid, the small kid on the block. They've still got a long way to go. Facebook, when they filed, I've got the I've got the numbers here. Um, what their revenues were. I think they were around three billion revenue um, mm. on Facebook side of things, whereas Twitter's not even not even one billion. So um, mm. it's quite a different scale. Yeah, I mean, Facebook obviously waited a lot, lot longer to to file than Twitter has. You know, lifetime wise. I mean, Facebook was very very mature. Um, you know, comparatively, I mean, Twitter's still very new, and obviously, I've gone for it much earlier, which which is an interesting move, I guess. I don't. Um, 
yeah, I wonder why why Facebook decided to go later and Twitter have gone before they've uh, really got the revenue up. I mean, I think a lot of it has got to do with Mark Zuckerberg's attitude towards, um, you know, a listed company and just wanting to be a product guy. And they held off, held off as long as they couldn't. They were almost forced to because of the number of investors just mm. reached a, a, a critical mass there where the, the law... Um, the, the law forced them to. But interesting, this week he actually was, Mark Zuckerberg spoke at the TechCrunch Disrupt conference. And if you're into everything tech and tech economy, have a look at the TechCrunch Disrupt videos from this week. They were really great. And Mark Zuckerberg um, gave some advice to Dick Costello saying uh, the, the, the listing helped us. Mm. You know, the listing helped us um, become better at what we do. So his tune might have changed. But yeah, pre-IPO Facebook, so in about 2010, um, Facebook was already sitting at two billion dollars revenue. That's 2010. Mm. So, um, am I going to buy f- um, Twitter shares? I I don't know. I, I'm going to wait until some of the information comes out and um, they bring back bulk following. Will you buy Twitter <laughs> shares? <laughs> bulk following, bulk and following. I think both of you, you and I, are just both saturated. If you're not following, I mean, if you're a managed Twitter user and you're listening to the show, you probably you might be aware of the kerfuffle that's happened with Twitter. Um, you know, um, implementing some changes that are disallowing bulk following and following and us and us engaging with Twitter. Um, but uh, the net result is Manage Flutter lives on and uh, the users are happy with the changes. And James um, is looking surprisingly alive after recoding <laughs> half of the system. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's good to have it out there and done. And we've obviously still got quite a bit of work left to do. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's turned out a lot better than I thought it would. So Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good result. I mean, we're in the trenches of, of tech, bootstrap tech startup and... Um, um, it's uh, you know part of the podcast is to give you a little bit of a, a window into into that world, but um, you know a couple of t- people have been tweeting me throughout this um, bulk follow unfollow th- uh, changes and and being really supportive, which is great. You know we we got a huge bunch of supportive users. I mean one of the reasons I was in the states recently is to to meet up with managed Flutter users and they all gush with how much they love the product and how helpful it is. One of the people that was tweeting me was a was a DJ from um, the south of. Um, the states i think he's in atlanta dj manny who's got a verified account and uh, a lot of followers and um, he sent us through this audio file giving us a shout out so let's have a quick pl- listen to dj manny it's your favorite tiger dj manny yeah dj manny and you're now listening to the it's the monkey podcast Ta-da! so i think uh, thanks to dj manny for that i think um I think he got the name a little bit wrong. I think he gave us a shout out to the It's the Monkey podcast, but oh, it's fairly close. It's yeah. fairly close. I liked the the high energy of it. I think um, I think we could do it with a soundboard in here, and we start you know mixing up sort of the high energy radio sounds and <laughs> exactly and stings and drops and and uh, which is the, the the industry lingo for that. And um, he said he's going to do us some more. So if you're listening to the podcast, send us through videos, photos, audio files. You know, we want to make this show your show as much as our show. We know a lot of you listen. We want to, you know, drag some of you into into the show. The way the, the format of the show is, we generally cover a little bit of tech economy news. Then we do an interview, um, and that's about it. We, we keep it at every two weeks. Um, and so every two weeks, check your iTunes, check the website, check the tweets, etc. So anyway, that's Twitter IPO. Are you going to buy shares in it? Uh, no, no, my money's uh, all tied up in weddings and travel and all other stuff right now. So no, I don't have the so you, don't have the money. But if I, if I had the money, I probably would not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm not totally convinced. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm still still not convinced on Twitter. I mean, I think over the next, it'll be interesting to see what happens once they get this IPO out the door. I mean, I think things tend to stall a little bit around an IPO because obviously a lot of people's focus in the company tends to shift in very sort of um, obtuse ways and we haven't seen a huge amount of progress from Twitter. You know, they seem to have slowed down um, innovation. So, I mean, hopefully once this is all over and done with, um, we might see some more innovation come out. I know, you know, uh, Facebook's been fairly successful over the past couple of years, you know, sort of post-IPO. They've, you know, they've done some interesting stuff. So hopefully Twitter will, will get back in that path and, and um, right now it feels like they're playing catch up and hopefully they can kind of move beyond that and um, start making real progress again. 
there's been a couple of reports that some important Twitter numbers, some important Twitter metrics have stalled, have plateaued um, around new users, around users staying engaged, and also around revenue. How true that is, I don't know, but you know, some of the Silicon Valley tech um, press um, has reported that you know credible sources on the inside have said that Twitter's worried about engagement numbers and you know rolling out uh, functions like the blue line conversation line um, and the the verified new tab where if you have a verified account you can um, only look at your at replies from other verified accounts is is, is an attempt to try just tweak that engagement. Um, but yes, I'm. I'm. I, I. You know, I've. I've always loved Twitter. I still love Twitter. I'm still my favorite social media platform. Um, in chatting to a lot of people in the Valley in New York while I was there, there were um, people that were had had some associations or previous associations. They said that Twitter is is struggling a little bit culturally. They've got a bit of um, staff turnover. Don't know exactly what's going on, but th there is there is a bit of a feeling that Twitter has lost its shine just a little bit. Facebook somehow is still maintaining its shine. It's, it's I have to take my hat off to uh, to the crew there. They seem to just be continually pushing ahead, and their numbers are really strong. And um, and and they, you know, they they're not looking like they're going away anytime soon. Mm. Yeah, no, it's definitely a credit to to Mark. Really, I think in lots of ways, the fact he can. You know, I think sometimes when you have that strong leadership and you have somebody who has like a very clear vision, it really sort of defines the whole company and um, you know people's external expectations in the company as well. And um, and do you know what the important difference is between the leadership at Twitter um, and Mark Zuckerberg, which is is significant? Is is Mark Zuckerberg was the founder? Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, you know, and and having the you know the founders involved, there's just you know it's a similar thing at Google. Yeah. Um, the guys are the founders there, you know, Pinterest, um, yeah. Instagram, the founders are still involved, obviously bought by Facebook. But there's, you know, D Dick Costello was involved from the beginning, but he wasn't, uh, you know, part of the initial founding crew. And I think there is something to be said for that, to be part of the founding crew and part of the leadership. Yeah, definitely. I think it definitely defines the culture and, um, yeah, something kind of in indefinable that you can, you know, I think somebody who comes in later, they're probably all focused on revenue and in other aspects of it. And, and um, yeah, no, I can I can definitely see that as being a, a, a differentiator. I mean, what's interesting is the Google and the Facebook um, have, they brought in, you know, professional management, Google in the term of, Eric, in, the, in the way of Eric Schmidt and Facebook in the way of Sheryl Sandberg. But they've, you know, they held on to the founders being the visionaries and, you know, being the, the heart and soul, but having the adult supervision, quote unquote, to do all the other bits and pieces. I mean, Jack Dorsey is still the chairman of the board at Twitter. Hmm. Um, so he is does still have some involvement. But I've always had the feeling that at Twitter, there's been some political issues between the three founders and, um, you know, some of the other founders that went by the wayside. Somehow Facebook navigated that. I think I think also if you've got, you know, one founder or one dominant founder like Mark Zuckerberg, um, you know, all the other co-founders fell by the wayside very early on in the piece. Mm. Um, the other thing with Facebook is it kind of has this this vision as well. I mean... Even though a lot of people don't necessarily agree with it, it certainly, you know, Mark has this vision of, um, you know, a more open world and in, an increased sharing, and and you know, Facebook is kind of this this platform that that attempts to deliver that in in you know sort of socially acceptable ways. Whereas Twitter has never really had a defined, you it's know, true. it doesn't have this kind of. You don't go to Twitter and say, well, what do they do? You know, they're just a communication platform. There's no sort of doesn't feel that they're trying to drive social change or anything along those lines, which which they really are. I mean, they, they talk about a lot of their successes with, you know, how it's been used in sort of the uprisings in the Middle East, but um, there's never been kind of like a vision that's come out of that or like for openness or whatever. There's, there's, you don't get this um, cohesive uh, yeah concept coming out of them, which I, I think would be very, you know, could be useful to them. I think that's a very important point. There's no... Um, and it's still, you know, a lot of people still find Twitter quite um you know esoteric mm. and hard and people drop yeah. off really quick you, you know they'll they'll start with it they'll get excited they follow some of the celebs and sports people and then they they drop off 
Um, so they, they do have that challenge. But look, I mean, it's, they're obviously a bunch of smart guys and they, they have real revenue and um, it's, it's, it's not going away soon. But I think it's, I, think it's, I have a sense it's very much a, an important, this is really going to be a, a little bit of a make or break for Twitter as well. And whether they got the timing right of this IPO, I think, um, you know, it's always hard to tell if their revenue hasn't been growing and it's less than $1 billion dollars. Mm. They're going to have a hard time. They're going to have Definitely. really. They're going to have a hard time selling the vision. Um, I mean, even Facebook. Facebook had the advantage that their revenue had stalled, but it was at a, quite a high base already. Yeah. If theirs is only five hundred million and it's going nowhere, it's going to be a hard sell. But anyway, interesting time. So that's a Twitter IPO. Let us know your thoughts in the comments or the tweets. Um, of course, a big story. Apple, new new phones. James, um, give us a run through. What do you think of the new phones that came out? <laughs> well, it's very, um, I think lots of people have different opinions. Um, my personal opinion is it's, it's pretty cool. Um, lots of rumors that were sort of uh, lots of things that came out, um, you know, before the announcement on Tuesday US time. Uh, and all that kind of bore out. Uh, most people's expectations came true. So the new iPhone, uh, the iPhone 5S is going to have um, a fingerprint scanner and it's going to have uh, new colors, which <laughs> really <laughs> likes. So obviously very important. Um, no, no, I mean, it is, it is important though. iPhones have only ever been white or black. And um, so they've got two lines coming out. They've got, got the 5S, which is the, the more expensive, like the... The, the new version of the phone um, and that's coming out in uh, gold, silver or space grey right. which is kind of cool, cool <laughs> name um, and then they've got the 5C which is kind of the, the slightly cheaper version um, which is essentially replacing the old iPhone 5 and that's coming out in about five different sort of fluoro colours which is quite cool it was very cool seems to be aimed at a, a bit of a teenage market that I don't know. It's, no. uh, I think it's kind of the, the sort of the fashion right now. You know, it's sort of fluoro stuff, and and Apple's always had that kind of sort of bright colors. You know, they've had all the iMacs, and you know, they've really loved playing with colors. Uh, you know, they've never done it on the, sort of their premium product lines, and so I think that's why they've done, they've had these two versions. They've got the one premium, which has got sort of muted tones, and then they've got this other one, uh, the five C, which is uh, you know the bright colors, um, and it, it's probably you know then stepping out of Steve. Jobs' legacy as well. Like I think he probably would have constrained that before. Whereas this feels like a, you know, a step with them trying something different with the line. You know, none of the existing colors um, are present in the new models. They're all completely new. So, I've got one question though that baffles me about mm -hmm. the new phones. Uh, um, I've got a friend who's probably listening as an Apple Apple zealot, and 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 he's had this bugbear about the the battery life in the iPhone. And I spoke to him yesterday, and I said. So what's the new battery life on the, on the new phones that released? He said, well, they're reporting that it's going to be a 5% improvement. Yeah, it's not going to be much. And the other thing is because it's uh, more powerful, it will probably trade off. So effectively, it will be the same battery life as the, as the old one. Come on. Like, am I missing something here? I mean, the thing that people want to do is they want to use their phone. They're frustrated to hell with the iPhone batteries. And they, all they can throw out is a 5% improvement in battery life. Look, and, know, and they throw in a fingerprint scanner and have some new colors. Come on. You know, I, I've, I've never had issues with the battery life. I've had my 3GS for years, and it, it, it's definitely got lower battery life than the new models. Um, I, I think you have to be... It's kind of like, like anything. It's like, it's like with your um, laptop. Like if you took your laptop out and you were playing games, you know, it's only going to last sort of half an hour, an hour under real heavy load. James, you're reminding me of a friend, right? A few <laughs> years ago when ADSL2 was already out and he was still on dial-up, right? And he used to say to me, I don't need the faster new connection. If I'm downloading a big email, I just go for a walk around the block or something. Well, I've got an H. I've got no. an HTC One. Okay, I've got an HTC One. My old HTC was similar to the iPhone. I would use it for an hour or so. The battery would, you know, if actively on GPS or browsing, and it would just suck it dry. But, no, but the, uh, my my point is, is that the batteries are getting bigger. It's just they're doing a lot more with these phones, and that's why the battery life never 
perceivably changes. They're always kind of at this sort of ten hour mark but, but because they, they're they, chewing up so much more with the process. But you can, you know, like for example, when I go on a flight, I do things like I put my phone as after I've charged, I put it into flight mode. I turn down the brightness. I turn off any background apps. Like there are plenty of ways that you can, you know, without too much difficulty, can really extend the battery life. Um, and look, yeah, it would be nice if we didn't have to worry about this, but. Um, does the HTC One and the Samsung do they have any? Do they not have a much better battery life than the iPhones? I don't know. I don't. I can't. I, I can't say. I don't. I don't. See, really like know if much I battery life. If 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 I was head of Apple, right? If I was uh, what's his name, Tim uh, Tim Cook, Tim Cook, um, and I would briefing my engineers and designers. This is that's totally the first. Thing. That, that would be a totally killer feature if they came out and they said right 10 day battery life but it's a it's a trade-off i mean you can't have 10 day battery you, you can have 10 day battery life but you have to take down all the other stuff if you take down the processor speed just and inve- i mean they got more money than they know what to do with right <laughs> what i would do is i'd get the smartest engineers in the room and say right i'm not letting you out of this room until you totally look at this from a totally different perspective and you've come up with this battery that lasts for 10 days yeah i don't know i mean you can i mean you can get phones that last for 10 days you can you can get yeah, the old the old nokias that had you know that they weren't smartphones i mean they would last for days and days and days yeah you know? and that's because battery life has increased but the only way you can there's there's kind of hard physical limits at where we are with battery tech right now and you can only get so much out of it that's why you know electric cars still have issues and there's you know maximum length of distance you can travel innovation can solve everything yeah and i'm sure <laughs> okay anyway i'm i'm i mean i i'm just uh, you know and they obviously smart people they obviously get this but i i was still quite surprised that they just threw in or you know a five percent battery i mean if someone uh, improvement in life in someone i mean if i was a vc boy would i be sniffing around for people that are looking at solving this problem because um you know everything's becoming so much more power hungry and and they need some sort of disruptive technology. Obviously, there's chemical limits in these lithium ions or whatever they are. But there needs to be some, you know, little hydrogen cell or have something. A nuclear reactor in our phones. It, exactly. <laughs> Fusion cell. <laughs> um, I bet uh, you're going to get a new iPhone, aren't you? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Planning to get the new fi- uh, um, 5S. So it's been four years. It was my old phone. So I should uh, think I finally need to take the plunge and get a new one. So. Well, we'll yep. be interesting in a in a report back, and I've got the new HTC One, which I'm really loving. Um, the screen's a little bit bigger than I'm used to. I had the Camera's old not HTC. That, <laughs> HTC One, jeez, I beg to differ. Have like a four megapixels. Ha- have a look at my Instagram feed. Uh, you know, see 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 what you think of my photography with my HTC One. In objective reviews, the HTC phones always uh, score lower than the iPhones. What on cameras? Yeah. Well, <laughs> have a have a look at have a look at my Instagram I'm sure feed. We can debate this all day. <laughs> um, I'm pr- I'm pretty happy with it, but yes, I mean I I do I have heard that I have heard that the iPhone does some you know the the, the quality of the photos are results of megapixels, size of lens, all sorts of. It's not just megapixels. It, it, that is a fallacy. I, I believe the best phone for cameras that's come out is the Nokia Windows phone, where they've really focused on that. Um, but mm. um, the Lum- Lumia line, yeah. yeah, and of course Nokia now is owned by Microsoft. Mm. Yep, which would be interesting. interesting. Um, anyway, I look forward to that iPhone 5S, and uh, we'll get James's uh, we'll get James's review, and maybe we'll take maybe we'll do a photo shootout and just see if you know what people prefer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the iPhone will win. <laughs> okay, I'm, 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 I'm willing to, I'm willing to go for it. Um, we're taking a short break. You're listening to Kevin and James and the It's a Monkey podcast. Please email us at Monkey Podcast. Um, please add us on Facebook. You can like us. Just search for It's a Monkey. Please, um, sorry, tweet us at Monkey Podcast. Email at uh, email us at podcast at It's a Monkey dot com. Um, send us audio files, send us photos, send us some love. Um, we love to hear from you. We're going to take a short break and then we're going to be talking with Ted Rubin and we're going to be talking about uh, return on relationship. Um, I had a chat with him earlier um, today. We'll be back soon.
The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back, find new people to follow, track keywords on Twitter, and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code MONKEY2 at Manage Flitter to receive a one month free budgie account. You're back with Kevin Garber on the It's a Monkey podcast, episode number 25. It is Friday, the 13th of September, where we are. Um, You may be in a different time zone wherever you are. Thanks for joining us. Now, we all across social media, if you listen to this podcast, you know that uh, we talk a lot about Facebook. We talk about Twitter. Um, I have built a company on Twitter. That's how much I love social media. Um, But we don't always touch base on how that trickles through to returns, returns for companies, returns for individuals. At the end of the day, we still live in a capitalist society and um, activity has to trickle down in many cases to return um, for the business. So I thought I'd get hold of one of the experts in the field. um, And at the end of my Skype line is Ted Rubin from New York City, Manhattan. Ted, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, I'm excited to be here, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Ted, on a slightly unrelated note, what, what was the mood like uh, in September 11 this year in New York? Uh, you know, it was subdued. I, I think that's really the best way to put it. You know, we've gotten to that point where we're beyond that, that shock that lasted for a number of years. Um, I, I, everybody has a story of where they were. I happened to be in flight uh, the day it happened, and, and one of the, the guy who helped me out when I landed in Florida, get in touch with my family, posted something, and he had forgotten that we were together that day. So I think it's like a day of remembrance. It, it, it's a day when people write posts or blog posts just about, uh, less about the event itself and more about, you know, how important relationships are to them, how important their family is to them, things like that. And I think that's one of the biggest testaments we can do to to all um, you know the people that passed away is actually live smarter and wiser based on on, on what happened. Yes, indeed, I agree with you. Um, anyway, we were all thinking about uh, New York from this side of the pond. A lot of uh, Australians; it's one of their favorite cities. It's become very popular for young uh, Australians to head over to New York City. So, uh, um, v- very much uh, remembered on this end of the pond as well. Well, I would like to tell you that if I was a little bit younger, I'd be moving to Sydney if it was up to me. It's a great so, it's a, it's Sydney and New York are my two favorite cities, I have to tell you. I was, you know, I was just there speaking at the ADMA conference, and um, I was there for six days, and I can't wait to come back. What a fabulous city you guys have. Uh, the, the warmth of the people, the, the, having such a great city right next to the water the way it is, and just really, really enjoyed it. And like I said, if I was 10 years younger and didn't have my girls, uh, who are teenagers now, I'd be on a plane tomorrow setting up shop there. Well, the one thing that, um, you know, Sydney's in a, a, an incredible place, but it's really hungry for people like you that understand the industry, that understand tech, that understand tech startups, and importantly, have experience in the area. Um, there's a lot of smart people here and a lot of hardworking smart people, but we don't have the ecosystem that the Bay Area has, that New York has, and that's that ecosystem's a mixture of funding, experienced people, and people with the right risk profile to give things a go. Absolutely. And and I just think like it's just such a ripe market right now. I think that, you know, it's so far behind the states right now, truth be told, it, it, even in digital, but in, in social completely. So I, I just think it's I think you guys are, have it's a great opportunity. There's great things going on there. And it's I think it's an exciting time for you. I think it is too. And there's a great opportunity for um, the Australians to work with the Americans. But let's just take a, a step back. You are a social marketing strategist. You're author of the book, Return on Relationship. Um, let's, let's just, it's obviously your passion, um, you, you know, d- getting return on this thing called relationship, which is quite a, it's, it's quite an abstract concept. You know, it is and it isn't. You know, the way I like to say is that return on relationship, simply put, is the value that is the value that's accrued by a person or a brand due to nurturing a relationship. ROI is simple dollars and cents. ROR is the value that I believe is both perceived and real that you'll accrue over time through connection, loyalty, recommendations, and sharing. I mean, word of mouth, advocacy, all these things play into it. And if you really want to boil it down to a much shorter version, to me, it's ROI is about dollars and cents, and ROR is about people. 
And if you're not focused on the people, if you focus only on the dollars and cents, you don't focus on the people, you're, you're going to lose today because there's just too much communication going on. And as you note, um, and that was an interesting point, there seems to be this really big gap in the way that people are engaging um, with social media and there's a gap between the way the big brands are engaging with social media. There's this disconnect. People want to engage on social media in appropriate ways and brands and companies are really slow to meet them up at, to the level that they wish, wish to engage at. Um, that's true. I mean, there are some brands that are taking a, a front position in this. Adobe is one of them. They do an amazing job of empowering their employees to be representatives of the brand and to represent themselves. You know, what I like to say is that if you want to scale social, um, then you have to empower your employees to do it for you. Uh, so empower your employees and they'll power your business because your best advocates, number one, should be the people that work for you. And number two is don't... In don't stop them, number one, from using social. That's incredibly counterproductive. Or, you know, you ever hear of a smartphone? I mean, everyone's just going to take out their iPhones and connect anyway if they can't connect on the company network. And if you look at statistics, and this is a funny one, you'll notice that smoking breaks have gone up in the United States. Do you think, actually think people are smoking more in the last two years? No. People are taking those same smoking breaks so they can get on their iPhones and check their social channels. And this is so silly because it, it forces them to do something that's disingenuous, that's taking away from the company, instead of saying, we want you to build your personal brand. As a matter of fact, we will empower you and help you do that. Because if you do that, those same personal brands will help build the company. I agree with you um, very strongly. In fact, someone listening to, listening to this podcast is probably my father, and uh, he, he's built up a company as well. And in their company, they actually have a policy that you can't use Facebook and YouTube, etc. And they've, they've cut back down. On it. And I've had debates with them, and uh, they, they've, they've got some relatively strong arguments, but I'm definitely on your side in um, trusting your staff, empowering your staff. And you do have to take a little bit of a leap of faith, but it, but it tends to pay off in ways that you can't even predict. And it goes beyond that. It's the most foolish policy that could ever exist today. Hello, Dad. I hope you're there and I hope you're listening. <laughs> Stop doing this because guess what? They're all going on social. They're doing it around you, under you, behind your back. And all you're doing is causing your employees to do things they shouldn't be doing. And what they're doing now is because they're hiding it, they can't integrate it into what they do. And you're, you're losing. I guarantee uh, you, you're losing. Although, Ted, in their defense, having chat, chatted with um, one of the staff members that works there, he likes the policy. And interestingly, why? Because he finds some of the social media addictive. And if he knows there's, it's going to be punitive, it's going to work against him, if he hops onto Facebook and people see he's on Facebook or YouTube, it actually helps him focus and be a bit more disciplined. So there's a little bit of an unintended positive consequence as a result of that. Yeah, possibly, but it's also key him disconnected from the real world and what's going on. But again, we could debate this all day long, and I think there's other things you might want to talk about on this well, podcast. Well, the one thing that I want to talk about as well is we talk to a lot of brands, a lot of small companies, you know, a lot of uh, big companies. The one thing that they struggle with is when they heading over into social, even when they're starting with social, they're just overwhelmed. They always say, where do we start? We just don't know where to start. It is so overwhelming just looking at the platforms. Um, can you give us a little bit of, you know, perhaps a methodology or an insight where they can actually just, just kickstart something sensible um, with a view to getting some return and as well, you know, for the short and long term, investing in the long term? Absolutely. I'll give you the simplest way to do this without it overwhelming you. Don't participate, just start listening. You know, people tell you that, that social is a participatory um, um, platform and environment, but the truth be told, there's incredible amount of intelligence there just by watching and listening and reading. So what I say to a company that's a little bit worried about what they do, I say, well, there's absolutely no excuse to not be watching what other people are doing, to not watch what your customers are doing, to not jump into the effect of learning and, and, and listening. Start with basic software that tracks mentions of your company. See what people are saying. You don't necessarily in the beginning have to be a part of that conversation. You can become a part of it just by acting on things you learn by listening to the conversations happening. 
And of course, some people don't even realize that there is software available. I mean, our own product manager, Flutter, helps people track their mentions on Twitter. And there are, they are uh, you know, products that can help people. But even on the listening side of things, I think they feel a little bit overwhelmed just in terms of there's Pinterest, there's Instagram, there's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's Path, there's, and so it goes on and on. Well, start somewhere. Pick one. You know, it, again, it, it's, this, it's this feeling that you have to have an overall absolutely complete strategy. I say jump in. Don't wait for a full strategy to develop. Start learning from day one. I say pick a platform or two that, I mean, if I had to pick two platforms to get involved in right away, I'd say Facebook and Twitter. I mean, look, I love Instagram. I love Pinterest. I'm using all these things, but there's nothing that beats Pinterest, uh, Twitter and Facebook right now. It also, another one that comes up in, in that group is YouTube. Start searching YouTube for what people are saying and doing and talking about your industry, your brand, your products, and start paying attention to that. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. Assign one person to each. You know, you don't have to read everything and see everything. You can start getting a feel by doing it manually. I mean, I first learned about brands. The first thing I do, if you called me up and you wanted me to get involved in your brand, is I'll just do a basic Google search. I'll go onto Twitter search and I'll search tweets. I mean, I don't even use software for that. I do it manually. I want to get a basic feel. And then I start looking at people that are following you or that are following your competitors. And I start just seeing who they are, getting an understanding of that. I think you hit the one nail on the head where you said they don't have to read everything. And this is where I find it's a little bit of a generational issue at play. The, dare I say the older generation, the, the Gen Xs, sorry, not the Gen Xs, the baby boomers and, and, and a little bit older, and even some of the Gen Xs who grew up in a world, they went to universities where, you know, a book was read cover to cover and, and newspapers were read. There wasn't this scanning type of, um, you know, approach and digesting pieces really quickly that people today do. So they get overwhelmed, they see their tweet stream or they see a tweet stream and they go, oh my God, I can't sit and read through that every day, but they don't realize they don't have to, and, and reading some of it is a lot better than not reading any of it at all. Exactly. And, and again, it's like anything else. I mean, it, people in your company read business books that come out, read things that are important. There are publications that are industry-related. You don't read all of them. You read what you can something is better than nothing. And especially in the social space, there's so much that's mimicked amongst people that are similar that you don't have to take in everything. But you need to start paying attention to it. it it's Number one, it's not going away. Number two, it's getting bigger every day. Number three, it's going to be an intrinsic part of everything we do as, as weeks and the years go by. It, it's not going to become less. It's going to become more. And it's going to be wrapped around everything thing we do. It's going to be wrapped around production. It's going to be wrapped around customer service. It's going to be wrapped around CRM. It's going to be wrapped around vendor management. Everything can be enhanced by listening to what's going on and by having conversations there and by wrapping a social shell around everything you do. And, you know, I've heard some interesting stories of CEOs who get their, their emails printed out every day and then they <laughs> yeah. dictate responses and their secretary yes. and their PAs. I mean, maybe even in some organizations, maybe if, if someone's struggling to get buy-in from the top, they can actually print out some tweets and some posts and even literally drag them in that way. No, absolutely. And people are putting them into PowerPoint presentations so that, so that some of the management can see this. But, you know, my point, and I say this to CEOs all the time, is that, you know, you're investing in, in social. I mean, every major corporation is investing in social right now. You would never put that money into a TV commercial without watching TV. You would never put it into a newspaper without opening that newspaper. Why are you putting it into social without bothering to just open the pages? And, of course, it's, you know, I remember um, when I was working... Uh a few years ago on websites and, and email marketing with, with small companies and a lot of them were apprehensive in rebuilding their website and doing Google AdWords and even at that time I used to say to them when you look for something where do you go and they all go Google you know and I'd say well surely you expect your customer to do the same and there is an element even these days of CEOs and especially the level below that that they are doing everything on social but they still somehow that disconnect for them applying their own, uh, you know, taking their own medicine, so to speak. Exactly. I Ta mean, sorry. go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, so, sorry, no, finish what you're going to say. No, it's okay. okay. Go ahead. <laughs> um, this is your show. <laughs> you're the expert, so uh, we, we're hanging on your words. <laughs> Ted, um, give us a couple of examples of brands that are doing it right. Our, our users and our customers are always really hungry for that. Um, talk us through a couple of case studies. 
Um, okay, well, there's a, first of all, I want to say something that, that just in reference to what you just said. Um, I don't consider myself an expert or a guru, and, and I, it always bothers me when people uh -huh. call themselves that because everybody is. What I am is a guy that is jumping into the space, has opinions, isn't afraid to voice them, and isn't afraid to go out and actually use what I'm telling other people to use. So I'm not telling anybody to do things I haven't tried for myself or haven't tried for a brand that I'm either directly working for or that I'm representing in one way or another. And to me, that's a really important part. I see people raising their hands as social media experts and gurus, and they don't even have their own Twitter follower. I mean, how can you possibly teach a company how to do this if you're not doing it for yourself? And, and, and how can you show that you really believe in it? So uh, on, on just wanted to make that statement. On to your question, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, um, I, I mentioned Adobe. Uh, what Adobe is doing very smart is they are crowdsourcing the help within their company to, to interact with all these people. Like you said, it can be overwhelming for a company. Imagine a company like Adobe and how many mentions they get a day in one form or another. So uh, you know, I'll tell you a great story about how I discovered this about Adobe. And it wasn't from reading case studies or I industry publications. I learned most of what I learned from my own experiences, from per not from testing brands, but from living and having experiences. So my daughter is a teenager. Um, I'm a divorced dad. She lives with her mom. You know, as we all know, in those situations, things can get a little bit, uh, a little bit not nice sometimes. So, you know, my daughter's always told dad's going to do it a different way. And my daughter calls me up and says she wants Photoshop. Now, Photoshop's not inexpensive. So, of course, I said, let's have a conversation. Why do you want it? What is it for? And she gives me really good reasons. She's an artist and she's actually in college now, just started um, in fine arts. And I said, great, let's do it. And she goes, well, Dad, I want the real Adobe. I don't want you getting it from, from, a, from a pirated site. Mom says that's where you'll get it from. <laughs> so, so I say, come on over. We'll do it together. Now, I, I, we go into Adobe. We go to download Photoshop. I don't know if you've ever tried to do that, but this is not an easy experience. Mm. Now, Adobe's aware of that, and that's the good news. So I'm trying to download Adobe, and it's not working, and she has to go home soon, and she's getting frustrated and upset that am I doing it right. So I go to call customer service, and of course, it's after hours, and I get a recorded. So I go to Twitter. And I tweet out very politely, hey, Adobe, you know, love your products, but having trouble with Photoshop, help. You know, I'm with my teenage daughter. And within 10 minutes, I got responses from no less than seven different employees in seven different offices around the globe in seven different job positions asking me if they could help me. Now, they didn't, they weren't, they were, and they were totally, they were totally on it. They didn't try to give me advice about something they didn't know. The basic answer was, I see you're having a problem. What can I do to help? And of course, I, the reason I know that they were in all different places, and I looked at their bios. I looked at who they were. One was a product person. One was a salesperson. One was a customer service person. And then very quickly, they noticed that each other, we were paying attention, was, it, was talking to me. And they narrowed it down to one person who then said, how can I help you? And I'm I, I, basically just to cut to the chase, I told them my daughter was leaving. And they arranged a time for a tech to get on the phone the next time I'd have my daughter's laptop. And what this tells you is here's a company that's saying, hey, we have all these interactions, and do we want to have a social media department with 300 people answering tweets? Probably not, but we have, what, 50,000 employees worldwide? I don't know, maybe, maybe many, many more. Let's reach out and, and empower employees to do this. And, and what I've learned since is that Adobe has this amazing program they, that you have to qualify to get into, and it's become a thing that people want to be a part of because it enhances their reputation. It gets them training. And, then, and, and a lot of them like working at Adobe, and they like helping. So here's one company, again, simplified way of how they're empowering their employees and they're scaling their social by getting people who want to do this to be a part of it, but not to be their full-time job. I think and, that's... Sorry, go ahead. No, and they're getting people to raise their hands. They're not like, they don't have to pay people for this. People are excited to be a part of it. I think, that's now, a, I think that's a fantastic example. I mean, I'm thinking of companies like Google, Microsoft, all the airlines, where they have all these customer service bottlenecks. And I'm pretty sure they've got uh, their internal uh, evangelists internally and, so, and that are across social media in any case that could sort of, you know, really swarm around these issues and resolve them in a way that will leave the customer happier than even before they had the problem. And I will give you another great example about that. But, you know, in reference to what you said, I mean, Look, look at who has the worst customer service in the business right now, the social media companies. Facebook, Twitter, they suck. I mean, you, you can't get them to answer anything. Your Twitter handle goes down, something's going, you can wait days for a response. Imagine if they just bothered empowering their employees. I mean, they're in the, they're in the business for God's sake. But here's another great example and goes right to what you were saying about 
just hearing people. Remember, most of us, first of all, let me tell you something. It's something I always say. There is no social media without women. It ceases to exist. Women communicate different than men. You and I, we barely even listen to each other. We're just waiting, biting at the bit to tell you what I think and, and not paying attention. And, and women pay attention. And if, and if you listen to women, I mean, if you're, if you're a guy, whether you're married or you're single, you know that if you're, if you're good at looking at a woman in the eye and letting her know you're paying attention, you win. Most of us don't do it. But if you, if you understand that, and if companies do that. So you know who does that amazing? And, and you mentioned the airline industry, and, and there, there are airlines like Delta and American who are getting better at it. But the best world-class company at that is JetBlue. This is a company that totally gets that it's about engaging. It's about hearing people, not solving their problems. Because I got to tell you, I don't care how many people are complaining about a, a flight stuck on the runway. If the, if the, okay, if the uh, tower's not letting it go, it ain't taking off. Ted, I'd, I'd like to stop you there because that statement is probably the most powerful statement and an overlooked statement by even big companies. That statement about um, it's not about solving your problem. It's about hearing people. Now, I just, I just want to take a slight segue for a moment. I'm not sure if you've followed some of the excitement that's happened at our company at Manage Flitter over the last sort of month or so. Long story short, Twitter changed their API and we've had to sort of amend one of our biggest, most popular features. We have tried in vain to get hold of Twitter. Um, they've stonewalled us. And I think a part of that is they, they carry, A, they've, they've, they, they're very busy with all sorts of things in pre-IPO. But B, I think they carry a little bit of fear in that they have to have a conversation and tell us that we can't have what we want. But I think what they're failing to miss is that human elements is that people want to be heard. And even if you listen to them and hear them out, a lot of the time, you're going to land up with a pretty good result. Exactly. And they, they are thrilled on, on being able to, on, on just hearing from people. And the perfect example, again, is JetBlue. They're not solving your problem. They're not finding your bag. They're not taking their flight off. But people are just relieved when somebody replies to them. When somebody says, we hear you, when somebody gives them beyond a boilerplate answer. Now, there's nothing wrong with your basic boilerplate. Thank you for your input. We're doing everything we can to fix the situation. You know, hopefully it'll be resolved soon. But when that second tweet or email or something comes back where they say, well, you know, that's really not good enough. I'd like to have some more information. And you respond with a genuine response. Let me see what I can do for you. Or even better, the people at JetBlue who are... Who are given that information so they can answer real legitimate questions. People feel good. You know, I learned this lesson early on at Elf Cosmetics. I was the CMO of EyesLipsFace.com back in 2008 to 2010. And it's where I first got my feet wet in social. And I built the largest presence for a cosmetics brand in the world for this small $12 million um, cosmetics brand, which by the way, by the time I left was 40 to 50 million and now is over 100 million. And That's a lot of I lipstick. That's a, especially when you're selling it for a dollar each. That wow. was their, that, that was the brand. I mean, a dollar, I mean, their most expensive lip gloss is $5. Yeah. And what, what I learned was that people just wanted to be heard. That when I gave a voice, and, and not only that, but I, as the CMO, I took phone calls. I answered tweets. And, and you, people say, well, how do you scale that? You know, you're the CMO. You can't talk to everybody. You don't have to because they will tell the world that you picked up their call and spoke and talked to them. And then thousands and millions of people will hear that. And to tell you the truth, most of them don't want to talk to you. But they feel like they did when someone else they know did as well. I think, you know, I used to work, um, AOL gave it a go starting up in Australia in the late 90s and they, ultimately they struggled for many years. But that aside, I worked um, in customer support while I was finishing off a degree. And the one thing, and, and I'm grateful for learning there, is that they kept on pointing us to the research that if someone comes in with a problem and you handle that problem in, 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 a, in an effective manner, um, they are bigger evangelists for your brands after the fact and even before they had the problem and I keep telling that to our staff here inside don't worry if people come in kicking and screaming and, and unhappy listen to them hear them empathize with them try sort them out and uh, they'll land up in a better position and time and time again that's exactly what happened we have people with all sorts of frustrations that come in about you know on that occasion about our product 
and at the end of it um, they you know incredibly happy about it and I think companies are scared they scared when they get a complaining customer that it's not going to end well but um, uh, it's counterintuitive almost it, now I, I want to tell you something when I was at Elf and other brands I did it myself at Elf because I was the, at Islip Face because I was the CMO. But I tell I would search for critics. I love critics. I would go through our fifty thousand Facebook fans, which back in two thousand nine and two thousand ten was pretty significant, for, you know, for for a small company. And I would look for the people complaining and I would engage them, because the best thing you can do is turn a critic around. And and what I say is that a critic that gets turned around becomes not just an advocate but a dynamic advocate because people know they were complaining and now they're singing the praises of your brand. And I want to tell you, everybody who's listening, I'm going to tell you how easy it is to turn a critic into a advocate for your brand, especially if you're a consumer packaged goods company. If you're selling a product, give them something for free. You give a woman free product, she will turn around and say you're the best brand in the world. I, I, I'm telling you, it is not that hard. Don't make them beg. Don't make them fight for it. Don't offer them something little at first and then have an escalation policy where you offer them more. Give it to them in the beginning. You know, what we have to realize is customer service should be your best marketing opportunity instead of thought of as a cost center. Most customer service departments are, are ranked and are rewarded on how quickly they get people off the phone. Why do you want to get people off the phone when they're most apt to want to listen to you? And I what think is the biggest... What is the biggest complaints from brands? Nobody's listening to us. There's too much noise. Well, when someone calls to complain, I promise you, they're listening. And I think if people are interested in this, um, the, the, the Zappos founder has written a book about his experience and his uh, of founding Zappos. And uh, there's some terrific insights in that book. Um, Ted, the, the, the one issue that I did want to talk about further, and, you, and you've brought it up a few times, is women. You know, women, uh, you, you know, the listeners, and, and, and we can learn a lot from them. Interesting, Pinterest was the first, I mean, was a social media network that was actually, you know, grown essentially by women in the Midwest of the U.S. They, they, they were the ones that really uh, made it reach critical mass. Um, that's true. And, and it was because the guys from Pinterest came around a little bit later, and they realize that women are driving social media. I, I mean, I'm telling you, I, I stand behind this with every word out of my mouth. There is no social without women. And that's, uh, why, I mean, and that's why I think on your point of Facebook and Twitter having such lousy communications themselves is that they, you know, they've, they've grown out of San Francisco and Silicon Valley where, you know, there's a very specific geek culture as much as I love those ecosystems. There's a very specific geek culture there that's not dominated by your communication and your empathy. A hundred percent. And it, it, to me, it's one of their, it's one of their, it's their, it's their weak underbelly. And th that's where someone is going to arise who is going to win some of that, that mindshare, is the company that first starts really listening to people. Ted, and it, it's, Ted, it's just not that hard to do. Ted, what are you doing tomorrow? Should we build a new social media network? Um, you know, we could. I'm a free agent right now. I mean, now's your time. But uh, unfortunately, I'm at the point in my life where I, I can't just take equity. You're going to have to pay me to do it. Well, come on. I mean, I, I mean, you in New York, there's a lot of money looking to find a home there. We, we, are, we are a smart team. We can do it. Uh, absolutely. Hey, listen, I'm planning on getting back to Sydney soon. I'm hoping to get there in February. Um, you know, we'll have to sit down and have a cocktail then because that to me is the best time to figure out those kind of things. And, and, and we'll, make, we'll, we'll make a plan. Well, Ted, we, uh, we, we definitely we will be offended if you don't swing by our office and um, you, you know share share some ideas. We definitely, uh, you know, this is only only the beginning of everything, as I'm sure it sounds like. It sounds like you have that same attitude and outlook as I do. Um, absolutely, I, I'm excited. And I have to tell you just a little bit of a heads up. I had a, some nice conversations with Qantas when I was over there. I had connected mm -hmm. with them before I came, and I think that they're going to be doing some really interesting stuff with empowering employees to start helping them power their social. Massive opportunities for brands like that that get it. Yes, absolutely. Ted, I really appreciate your time talking to us from Manhattan, New York. Um, Ted Rubin, the author of Return on Relationship and, and Social Media Consultants to the Stars, so to speak. Um, you can follow him on Twitter. Tw um, Ted, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, my main Twitter handle is at Ted Rubin. 
I also have at R underscore O-N-R for return on relationship. My hashtag is hashtag R-O-N-R. You can follow tweets there. Um, and one last thing I'd like to leave you with, and I think it's really important, is recognize how relationships grow. Relationships are like muscle tissue. The more you engage them, the stronger and more valuable they become. Absolutely. And um, we will put all the, the links to your Twitter account and your book uh, on our show notes. And um, I think there's a lot to talk about and hopefully we'll, we'll drag you in um, in a couple of months again. I'm looking forward to it. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much, Kevin. Ted, thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images. All with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error free. Relationship and business, James, it's been, th it's been a word that's been used for a long time. I remember when I started out uh, building my business many years ago, people were already talking about um, relationship as a, you know, in a business sense, even then. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting how it's changed so much with social media. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, Ted's point's very, very interesting, the fact that um, the social media has allowed individual employees to, to be empowered in social media. It's, it's, yeah, it's a very interesting perspective. I hadn't even really thought about it that way. Um, but yeah, I can think of my own experiences when I've had issues with companies and I've, you know, tried to get help. Uh, you know, Twitter is the thing I would turn to these days. Uh, you know, if I, if email isn't, isn't working. Um, so yeah, I can see it as being very empowering. I loved that Adobe example. Mm, I just thought absolutely. it was I thought it was fantastic. And I think it's such a terrific way for the big companies that struggle with customer service, the Quantus, oh, I won't pick on Qantas, but the airlines. Mm. Um, I haven't had a particular issue with Qantas, but it just somehow um, the airlines and the banks and, and all these people that, that do, they have staff with a lot of ambient time. Yep. And that that are good on social media. I think I, I thought that was a terrific example. I also loved him pointing out that um, the social media companies and networks are the ones, and and the Googles have the worst customer service as well. Yeah, that's that's it's really funny, but it, it's true when you think about it. You have all these brands that are using their networks to deliver better service than than they are in many ways. I think there's two reasons for that. The one is on Twitter and Facebook. Um, users are not the product i mean sorry yeah. users are not the customer users are the product yeah definitely yeah. you know yeah. and um I, I i know someone who's spending about two million dollars a year on google adwords mm. and believe me google really is there for them yeah. and engages <laughs> and looks after them because yeah. they they're the customer but i still i think that's only part of the reason i also think they tech companies and and the holistic view gets a little bit lost on it i still think mm. they could maybe cheaper than they think think of a way of actually keeping their users happy i mean it's not a good experience if you've got if you're facebook and you've got a billion users and anyone who's ever tried to deal with some legitimate issue you know i just sort of struggled a, a new app idea that these social networks could use they could have um you could kind of submit support requests and people could vote on like the most important support requests so to, it's to, like if they only solve 10 a day or something, then it could be like a community generated. <laughs> like a dig, a dig. For yeah, kind of like a dig sub for support because the problem with these big social networks is they just don't have the resources to deal with every single person's issue. Um, but why don't, I mean, even Twitter and even Facebook, I mean, having something even like a forum, right? Where, yeah. where I think Google does. I think Google does have some sort of discussion groups and some places where people do help each other. And, and I think some Google staff even chime in there every now and then. Yeah, they definitely have Google groups for quite a lot of their products and, um, and their kind of self-help self forums. But, but your average Google user, your mom and pop, if they ever have an issue, I mean, there's no ways they're going to find that. Whereas this, no. this Adobe thing, if you, if you tweet out something and suddenly you have this swarm of uh, Adobe staff coming in to help you mm. it's fantastic absolutely yeah yeah more companies should do it
Um, so, yeah, look, I mean, some of his points were good. Uh, you know, it's interesting times. It's still only the beginning. And companies are going to have to have to get good at that. I think it's pretty terrific that the power um, relationship between companies and their clients has really equalized mm. and, and shifted a lot. I think it's a good thing that consumers have the power. Mm. And you notice it. Voice, yeah. yeah and, and you notice it pretty significantly when you go to the States compared to Australia. The States obviously is a much more competitive environment mm-hmm. in everything. And you notice generally how much better the service is there. You know, but these things all matter. You know, it's, mm. it's all, Australia, it's things are... Um, if you, you don't know, like it, there, there is get still, out. <laughs> there, there is still sometimes a little bit of that attitude. Yeah, I is. mean, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, and the reason is because, you know, they know that, you know, whereas in the States there's... You know, there's 10 businesses waiting to take your business and five that are about to start up. And particularly in places like New York and LA and San Francisco, that that competitiveness is is quite brutal. But yep. the, the customers definitely um, benefit. But social media has, has um, you know, helped shift that power relationship. Anyway, that's about it for episode number 25. We hope you've enjoyed it. Please contact us. We love to hear from you every two weeks. So in two weeks' time, I'm going to be a year older. Well, no, actually, I'm not. I'm only going to be two weeks older, but, um, you know, it's, it's always <laughs> hard when the, the clock ticks over. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll look out for that uh, Tesla in the mail. And I'm the same star sign as um, Dick Costello. I yeah. mean... Virgos, good sign. Yep, we get shit done. Yep. And actually, and we've got more Virgos in our company than any other star sign. <laughs> you know, not not that I believe in this stuff, but I, I it's fun <laughs> to gives us something to talk about. Anyway, <laughs> thank, thanks for listening. Uh, um, goodbye from Kevin and James. Have a good one.